Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. for us and what he has for us, um, for some insight into his plans for us. The thing we, I think we have to remember when we're doing this is a scripture that maybe is my favorite childhood scripture from John chapter 10, verse 10. It says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come, Jesus is talking, that you might have life and have it to the fullest. The King James Version says, have it more abundantly. And I, I think when we think about this verse, what we can acknowledge is this, is that God's desire for all of us is that we would thrive in 2020, is that we would live in the abundance that God has for us. I can guarantee you this, I don't have to be a prophet of God, I don't have to have any fancy spiritual gifts to be able to tell you that God wants you to prosper in 2020. That is his word to us, that he wants you to live with abundant life. And abundant life looks different in different seasons, but we can be assured of this, that God wants us to live with abundance. And um, I, I think we, when we come to Jesus, I think, of a, I think a lot of us, if you remember when you first made a decision for Jesus, this idea that we become new creations is a really big part of coming to know the Lord and a wonderful part that God has made us new creations. But I think when we, uh, we often lose sight of the fact that God's will and desire for us is that we would continue in that newness every day and every year of our lives. The book of Philippians tells us that this is a very interesting passage in the Greek, uh, Philippians 2. You can look it up this week. But it, but it essentially says we are saved. So we are saved. When we come to Jesus, we give our lives to him. We are saved. And then there's a term in the Greek that would kind of say that we are being saved. This idea that Salvation is not a one-and-done kind of meal deal. Like you put up your hand, you say the prayer, you rub the magic uh, rabbit foot. But there's this idea. We don't rub the magic rabbit foot, for those of you who don't send me a letter about that. Um, uh, okay, so there's this idea. And then, and then that we will be saved. So we are saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. It's this very interesting uh, thinking in the New Testament. And I think God wants us to remember that that you, you as a person, God's not done with you yet. He's what he's begun, he's going to complete. And, and it really uh, helps us. This idea helps us because we don't get spiritually um, prideful. Like, I have the spiritual badge because I have more of a heritage than you. I've been saved for 63 years as opposed to 6.3 minutes. Uh, we can get that kind of weirdness in churches, and that's what we want to guard ourselves against. And the New Testament helps us because it reminds us that God is continually working on us. Uh, our text for this whole series is going to be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. It says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Okay, so the point of this series on Fresh Start is that God wants to do something different in you. He wants to renew you. 
in a more uh, glory to glory. He wants to continue to renew your heart and your spirit uh, for the coming year. Now, I know I sort of wrestled talking about this this week because I thought it was so cliche that we're going to talk about this on the 29th of December. But uh, the more that I thought about it, the more that I realized that humans, again, are uh, we are people that work best in seasons. And I don't know about you, but like I've never said on March the 1st, you know what I'm going to do March the 1st? It's a new, it's a new me. I'm going to be new March. I'm going to start going to the gym because you know this is not true. Like those of you that have a gym pass, I'm going to be so annoyed for the next couple of weeks because like everybody has decided that this is the year they're going to get things straight. You go to the gym for those first three weeks of January and you can't even get on a treadmill you have to like give people evil eye for like 20 minutes and breathe very loudly in their direction to get on a, you got to use all those weird machines. You know, the ones you don't know how to use and you fall off. If you go to the YMCA, you can come and laugh at me there. Uh, but so humans, we do do this. Even those of you that I know that in your hearts are not, I don't make New Year's resolutions, okay? I don't do that. It's very cliche. Some of you, are, how many of you are in that camp? Like you, you definitely, you're vehemently against New Year's resolutions. Yes, yes, I see those hands, yes. Okay, so so those of you that are in that camp, I understand, because it seems a little cliche. Like, it seems like, okay, how many of you are squarely in the camp that every year you make a strong New Year's resolution? I see those hands. They're going to come find you and find it. Okay, so a couple of years ago, I don't know if I told you this, but a couple of years ago, I was tired of myself making New Year's resolutions, like, this is the year I'm going to become an Iron Woman or... So I made a really good New Year's resolution. The New Year's resolution was every time I went to a restaurant with a chocolate lava cake, do you know what those are? They're like the, the ones I was going to order it. And that was my New Year's resolution. It was very powerful. And I was able to keep it all year. I will let you know. But that's success built on success. So maybe you could start small this year. And you could think of something like that. Some of you could have a New Year's resolution to start vacuuming. Some of you got a Dyson for Christmas, and you're very excited about it. Make that your New Year's resolution. Okay, but see, the truth is we are what we repeatedly do. Yes? We can acknowledge that. We are what we repeatedly do. All of us have habits that, um, that we do. In fact, they say that about 60% of our life is built on our habits, so... Whatever you get up in the morning and do every day from 6 a.m. to midnight basically is a good picture of you. We form habits, but our habits end up forming us. Yes? We form habits, but our habits end up forming us. So all throughout January, we're going to look at, at these habits from a biblical perspective. What, what are the kind of habits that God would have us um, develop and and how do we actually root ourselves in the scriptures uh, imagine if coming into 2020 someone told you that you could live a life full of the fruit of the spirit so full of love full of joy full of peace patience kindness goodness self-control um like and not not just said it but just I, I want you to just picture your life in 2020 you're living fully in love fully in joy fully in peace full, whoa all of a sudden, things are looking pretty different, right? And looking pretty up. But I, I think this is where um, I, I think this is where God wants us to live. I don't think any of us would um, 
turn that down, but, but I, I think, I think many of us fail to live up to our potential in the, in the Christian faith. Like, I, I think God has more for us. And, and I think we got to, in these next couple days, now is as good of a time as ever to say that, yes, this year I'm going to live into all that God has for me. This morning, though, I, I want to just uh, talk about the idea of taking an inventory on our life. And um, a lot of us, uh, we understand the idea of taking an inventory, looking at our life and looking at parts of our lives. But a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're really good avoiders. Like, this is a PSA for all the moms out there. Like, if you haven't looked at your child's lunchbox, like, you know, they came home on the 21st, you just avoided that lunch kit. If you don't look at it before January 6th, it's not going to be good. But um, some of us, like, we are a full-time avoiders. I am a full, and, and different of us avoid different things. So I, I, there's certain things as a mom that I avoid. And when our children um, were small, I can't, I don't, I don't do well with any kind of, like, fluids. So when the children would throw up or something, this is terrible. I can't believe I'm confessing this to you. What I would just do is close the door where that happened. <laughs> and I would take the children out and read them books and nurture their souls. <laughs> because I didn't want to take any time off nurturing them. And then I would wait. I don't know what I was waiting for. The Lord to return, or better yet, Dave, not better yet, but more likely, Dave to return. One time, I, it was so bad that I actually, he, he was at work, and I was, uh, we had just had our first new baby, and I, and he'll never forget this, he likes to regale everybody with this story, so I'm getting out ahead of it before he tells you, and I actually, it was about noon, and I didn't know if he had any real appointments, but I figured I would call him and say, I need you to come home. It is an emergency. So he got in his car. We didn't live very far from our house. He got in his car. He came to the door. I need you to go in the bathroom and fix it, please. And he um, really laughs about that. But I am an avoider of things like that. Others of us are avoiders of, um, you're an avoider of conflict. And so you avoid conflict like the plague. And at times it can be funny and then... The more we avoid, though, the less funny it begins. But God, God is not an avoider. And this is the uh, amazing thing about God, is that God is a God who is not afraid to confront us lovingly. And we see this from Genesis all the way to Revelation, story after story. It starts in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, where Adam and Eve um, have sinned, and they're hiding and God uh, comes to them. Look at this text starting in verse 8. It says, Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I have commanded you not to eat from? This is a really profound verse because God knew exactly what Adam and Eve had done. And yet he still confronted them. He still asked them the question, God is not an avoider. 
In the book of 1 Samuel, God takes it a step further. When Eli won't listen to God about the state of his children, he uh, speaks to a boy who will then speak to Eli. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming weak so that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. And we have this whole um, narrative about Samuel being called by the Lord. And Samuel was called by the Lord because God was asking Samuel to confront Eli. God is not an avoider. He is a person that will help us look exactly at our lives, look squarely at our lives for what they are. And then again, we see in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has this uh, cushy job. He's a cupbearer to the king. We've talked about this story many times. And the Lord actually calls him to confront the broken down walls of Jerusalem. You can read that in Nehemiah chapter 1. And there's this idea that God awakens his children to both confront the things in their own life, but also to confront things corporately. God is not an avoider. Some of us are full-time avoiders. God is not an avoider. He'll walk right into things and, and speak to those things. Then we see uh, Jesus continues this in the Gospels. When Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, which he knew was inevitable, he still takes time to confront Judas. Have you ever wondered why this happened? Let me just read this text from Matthew chapter 26. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. This is an interesting text, isn't it? Have you ever, have you ever thought about why, why did Jesus have that conversation with Judas? Like It's not like he had to. Have you ever had something with someone that you just know, okay, they're going to do that? And what I do when I know that somebody has done, I just don't, I don't discuss it. Because I just would rather not have, I'd rather just not have the conflict. So if I know somebody's going to do something, they're just going to do it. Oh, well, they're just going to do it. Why, why did Jesus have to talk to Judas? Why couldn't he have just said, listen, I'm going to die. I'm, it's going to be terrible. I think in some ways, if you look at this text, it was an opportunity for Judas to be able to confront his own heart. And we know from the character of God that his mercy is never-ending. I think Jude, that Jesus confronted Judas so that Judas could have, in that moment, perhaps a change of heart. God is not an avoider. He is a, a, a God who actually confronts us with our stuff if we're willing to listen. And Paul continues to talk about this and we'll look at a few of those scriptures in a minute but the question is um, I, I think the fact that God is not an avoider has implications for all of us if God is not an avoider that 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 matters that should matter to all of us I think the question we have to ask is why do we avoid things in our lives why do we avoid the behaviors and patterns that we have 
Um, I, I think there's three reasons for it. Um, first of all, I think we, we avoid things when they f seem impossible. So if you're in a relationship that seems like it's impossible to fix it, we'll often avoid it. Uh, we often uh, will avoid things when it's too painful. I think particularly in North American culture where we are addicted to comfort, where we are addicted to things being easy, where we're addicted to um, pain-free lifestyles, we will often avoid things that are painful at all. I, I would go so far as to suggest that we need to continue to um, ask the Lord that we, to have a healthy uh, theology of suffering because some of us avoid pain at so much cost. We avoid pain at our, to our own demise. And I think um, we avoid because it seems impossible. We avoid because it's painful. And we also avoid because it seems unimportant. So if I have an anger issue, but I don't think it's a big issue, I don't think it's a big deal, well, then I'm going to avoid it. Because who wants to open that can of worms? And some of us have decided what is important and what is not. We've ranked things. So I, I think in the church in general, we've done this. We've ranked some sins as very important, like we better get that straight or God's going to be super mad. And others, you know, like gossiping, whatever, that's a prayer request. I want to suggest that the scriptures should be the things that determine whether something is important or not not our own cultural reference to what is important. So Paul continues to talk about this idea of not avoiding things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he's talking to the Corinthian church here, and the Corinthian church is a mess. Okay, they're a mess, but they're trying to like project their mess onto Paul. So they're kind of like, um, they're questioning whether Paul has even like got any authority. And this is what Paul says to them. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Uh, the word examine yourself here is a Greek word that is a word that means to put yourself on trial. Put yourself on trial. And this is what Paul admonishes the Corinthian church to do. Put yourself on trial. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Um, again, he says it in Galatians 6 verse 4. He says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. I, I want to, um, this morning as we're talking about taking an inventory, like a lot of us will do this. Well, I'm going to take an inventory on my love for God. Well, I certainly love God more than the people who sit in the back rows. Not, no, this is no diss to you if you're sitting in the back row. I just made that up right now. We love you. We know you're in the back row for a reason. Okay, so, but we do this idea that like, um, we compare ourselves to one another. And what Paul says to us is, no, 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 no. When you're taking an inventory of yourself, you have to put yourself on trial against yourself, not comparing yourself to somebody else. Because somebody's, uh, what God has called somebody to might not be what God has called you to. And the plan that God has for you might not be the same plan as that God has for someone else. So we're not to compare ourselves. Uh, but the reason we need to take an inventory of ourselves is we, we can't live a fulfilled life when we can't acknowledge what God has already done. So when we're, when we're taking an inventory of ourselves, the human tendency is to look at all the terrible things. I want to suggest that we do the opposite. I want to suggest that we say, God, this year in 2019, 
What have you done that has been amazing? Where can I see your spirit working? Where can I remember what you have done? There's this amazing passage in the book of Nehemiah, verse uh, chapter 8 and 9. And the story of Nehemiah is this, that Nehemiah heard that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, and so he said to the king, can I go and build them back up? And so there's this whole drama that happens in the book of Nehemiah. They build up the walls, and it's amazing. Then Ezra comes, the scribe, and he reads the law, and they realize that they were in sin, and they have to repent, and it's a beautiful story of repentance and God's acceptance and reconciliation. Uh, But what's amazing in this chapter is that before they get to repentance, they first recall what the Lord had done. They first remember the good things that God had done. It says here uh, in, in the book of Nehemiah, uh, the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read the book of the, the law of God, They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with regulation, there was an assembly. Okay, so this is kind of an amazing chapter because they all come back, and they have this. The Bible says that they had a party like they'd never had before. There was great joy. Now, when we read that, we think there must have been really good, like I think, there must have been really good cannolis there and um, lasagna, like all the things I like to eat. No, no. Okay, so then it ties, there was really great joy, and there was celebration, and there was food, and all that, but what it ties it to is they were reading and remembering what the Lord had done. I want to suggest that in these last couple of days of the year, that what all of us should do is take stock and remember what God has done. Some of you in this last decade, in this last year, God found you. God, God, listen, you, you didn't find God, God found you, he's been chasing you down. And, and in this year, many of you found Jesus. And I, I want to suggest that before you get to any of the other taking inventory, that you take time and say, God, I want to thank you for what, I, what you've done in my life. I, I want to remember your goodness to me. Because when we remember God's goodness, it allows us to live into exactly who he's called us to be. Otherwise, we become like self-flagellating people. That's never, that, listen, that's never God's will for us that we would like just... For such a worm as I, I'm the worst. I'm the, that, that, that gets into condemnation. Romans 8 tells us that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't take inventory. It doesn't mean we don't acknowledge sin in our life. It just means that from the outset, we remember what God has done. We see his goodness in our lives. And we declare it. The, the second reason we, we want to take an inventory is because we can't get free from what we will not confront. So some of you have financial problems, but if you look at your credit card bills because you're spending money on weird stuff, and just filing that under your in your filing cabinet, not confronting it, you'll never get free. Some of us have um, marital issues, and if we will not confront that, if we if we won't actually acknowledge that, this is why taking an inventory is important. Some of us has just relational issues with people. If we won't confront that, we cannot get free. We cannot get free from what we will not confront. If we want to live in freedom, if we want to live in the best decade, uh, we, we have to take an inventory on that. The third thing is this. When we take an inventory, we break the enemy's hold on our lives. 
Ephesians 5.13 says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. I was talking to my friend about this yesterday. We were just discussing what the Lord had done in our lives, and we had been um, talking just about things that we were struggling with, and, and in the discussion, um, she said, Listen, I'm really struggling with this. And as she said it out loud, she said, It's weird. I've never actually acknowledged that out loud. This was about in November. So we prayed about it and talked about it. And By the way, you need friends like that. Everybody needs a friend that you can just uh, like be yourself around, barf on, that you don't have to put up airs. Don't actually barf on them, especially not me. I will avoid you if you do that. <laughs> but then we were talking about it yesterday, and she said, you know, it's really weird, that thing we talked about. It's like God actually helped me with that. And I, I think there is a principle in this. When we actually take inventory and we acknowledge, yeah, this is something that I, I got to work on. We, we expose it to the light. We don't let it, because uh, things in darkness are able to grow. And some of us have woken up before and think, how did my heart get here? How did I get so wild? It's because we didn't expose it to the light. So we break the enemy's grip over our lives. Some of us have had just, the enemy's had a grip on our lives in certain areas we need to expose it to the light so that we break the enemy's strength over us. And then finally, we're aligning ourselves. Listen, when we take an inventory, we're aligning ourselves with the way that God works. Time and time again in the Old Testament, God would come to the people when they were not afraid to confront their things, when they weren't afraid to confront their stuff. This is basically all of the prophets in the Old Testament. It's the prophets saying, hey, listen, Take stock of your ways. Look at the way that you're living. And then the people of God would go, oh, now sometimes this took decades. I'm going to pray that for all of us, this will not take decades for us to confront. But they would acknowledge, yes, we've sinned against you. And, and God, particularly the book of Isaiah does this. God says this to them in Isaiah chapter 1, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, take your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing wrong, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. I love that scripture. Come now, let us settle the matter. Like this is the time, now is as good of a time as ever to take an inventory of your life and settle it, get it straight before God. Don't wait. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, crimson, they shall be like wool. This is God's word to all of us, that we would take an inventory of our life and say, now God, where is it that you would have me go in the next year or in the next five years or in the next decade? I'm going to invite the ushers. We just have a little, we're going to do a little exercise today. They're going to give you a little sheet and because um, often I, I recognize this. I've been in lots of messages like this just before New Year's where I think, yes, this is the year I'm going to do it. And then I go home to turkey leftovers and then I sleep. <laughs> and we have good intentions, right? So the ushers are going to just hand you out this little sheet. And if you have a pen, uh, you can fill it out. If you don't, you can maybe put it into your phone and type it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back to the stage.
Okay, and so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a little bit of an inventory of our own lives. Here are the questions we're going to ask ourselves. The first one is, I'll just wait a second as we... first question asks this, what areas of my life am I seeing victory in? I think this is really important to acknowledge. We have to acknowledge it off the front. We remember what the Lord has done. This actually keeps us away from humanism, by the way. I think one of the greatest threats to the North American church today is that we would trade the word of God for some form of like um, self-help humanism. Uh, to say that, oh, you, I have done this. I, I have gone, I think acknowledging what the Lord has done, where you've seen victory, and acknowledging, God, that was you that worked through me in that area. That was you that did that. Actually causes us at the outset to remember, it's not going to be me anyway. It's not going to be me that, it's going to be the Lord working through me. We are not people who just believe in our own power. We are people that believe that the Spirit of God lives inside of us and works through us and in us. The second question we're going to ask of ourselves are, what are some areas of my life that need some attention? Okay, so now this is maybe where you're like nervous. And you remember in grade school, you used to put up your binders so that nobody could see inside your area what you were writing. So maybe you're nervous to write it down. Maybe you need to do that uh, this afternoon. But I do think this is a good question for all of us to ask. What are some areas of my life that need the Spirit of God to, like, where do I need help, basically? The third question is, are there areas, are there any areas that I am avoiding because they seem impossible? Because they seem painful? Or because they seem unimportant? And right here, right now, is the time to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to just stop and acknowledge some of you have had, can I, can I just speak candid, that some of you have had disappointments. We were singing this song, uh, you're a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, and you, you actually had the thought go through your mind, I don't know if you're a promise keeper, God. It's like, I feel like you promised me that. I'm like, where were you? And we must acknowledge those places of pain. If we do not acknowledge those places, places of pain, we actually bifurcate our heart and we say to God, here's half my heart or here's three quarters of my heart, God. Here's seven eighths of my heart. Here's 15 sixteenths. I'm getting into math now. Like we, we, we bifurcate our heart and the point is that if God doesn't have all of us, we, we allow the enemy a little corner of our life to hold us in bondage and that bondage grows so then we feel like we're, we're just in chains. So we must acknowledge the places where we feel disappointed. And God is not afraid of our disappointment. The Psalms teach us that. Ecclesiastes teaches us that. Job teaches us that. God is not afraid of your questions or your disappointments. So as we're taking an inventory of our life, don't just do a superficial like, and this year my fitness needs attention. It might. That might be what the Lord's calling you to. But I would say God wants us to go a little bit deeper than that. Are there places that seem impossible? 
Are there places that seem painful? Are there places that seem unimportant? And I think we have to, um, we have to ask this next question. If I continue to avoid these areas of my life, what will be the consequence? I, I think this brings into sharp focus the areas of our life that we don't think are important. What will be the consequences? And then the fifth thing is this. Ask the Lord for a plan. I mean, the self-help industry is a billion-dollar industry. I contribute to those billions of dollars that they make. It's good that we would figure out the best ways to keep our bodies in shape. It's good that we would find the best. But listen, we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that resides in us. The Bible tells us that we have the mind of Christ, that he is able to give us a plan for things. Just in this moment, the worship team is going to sing. I just want you to just take a few moments to just say, maybe some of you know right away, you know right away what where the areas that the Lord wants you to work on are what those areas are. And you need to then just ask the Lord for a plan. And I just believe that, I mean, Jesus said, my sheep, they know my voice, they hear me. And we talked about this last week. Like, it may not come as like a big, deep, audible voice. It might not come. It might come as a whisper. Just in these few moments, as the worship team just sings, could you just spend a few moments hearing his voice, letting him give you a plan so that 2020 can be your most free year, can be your most abundant year, so that the presence and person of Jesus help you to live in freedom like you never have before? take a few moments and then we'll dismiss you just in two minutes.
Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.